0: to Biohack Your Beauty episode 7. I'm your host Dora Vandekamp and I'm here to help you find the most powerful beauty biohacks, nutrition principles, lifestyle habits, and spiritual practices for optimal well-being. My mission is to inspire you to discover and embrace your own innate powers of longevity, self-optimization, and radiant vitality. This show has been brought to you by Shazandu, a line of the highest quality wild crafted and organic products. Shazandu is dedicated to using only the purest ingredients and their activated charcoal powder has amazing beautifying benefits, including teeth whitening, maintaining healthy digestion, and rejuvenating the skin and hair. And if you follow me on Instagram, you know I sprinkle charcoal on Everything. Check out Shazandu products at shazandu.com. That's S C H I Z A N D U.com. And use discount code DORA for 12% off your order. Today's featured guest is Marnie Wasserman. Marnie is a culinary nutritionist and health strategist. She is the author of Fermenting for Dummies and Plant Based Diet for Dummies and the co host of the Ultimate Health podcast. Marnie uses passion and experience to educate individuals on how to adopt a real food diet and a balanced lifestyle through simple strategies. So when Marnie was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, a thyroid condition that was detrimental to her well-being, she became passionate about reclaiming her health and teaching others to do the same. Marnie has such a wealth of knowledge, not only about thyroid health, but also wellness in general, and I have so many friends and acquaintances who suffer from some kind of thyroid condition. So this episode was really important for me to do. I hope that this information gives them and you a sense of empowerment and the hope that they can heal themselves and, as Marnie says in this interview, become their own doctor. Here are some of the questions we answer on the show. What is the thyroid gland and what is its function in the body? What are some of the environmental culprits that might contribute to thyroid conditions? What specific tests do you need to test your thyroid health? What to do when your doctor refuses to perform these tests. And Marnie mentions in the interview that that happens a lot. How did Marnie develop an optimal diet for thyroid health? How to go grain-free? What supplements are good to take for thyroid health? What kind of exercise is optimal if you have a thyroid condition? And is it possible to heal oneself enough to stop having to take thyroid medication? I hope you enjoy listening to the show. Without further ado, Marnie Wasserman. Hi, Marnie. Thank you for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: How is your week so far?
1: The week's been great. It's a long weekend. So, you know, starting, starting the week off on a Tuesday is always, always kind of fun, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, it's, been, it's been a great start.
0: I hear you're planning a wedding.
1: I am. We're getting married
0: in July. So
1: we just kicked off actually the first celebration this weekend. I had my bridal shower. So from here on in, it's going to be a lot lot of wedding stuff.
0: Congratulations. That's so
1: exciting. Thank you. Should be fun.
0: Yeah. So um, let's start at the beginning. How did you come to be so passionate about nutrition?
1: Well, that's always a great question because, you know, from a young age, I always loved food. So that doesn't necessarily equate to nutrition, but I loved, I loved food. I loved to eat. I loved, I did love all things healthy from a young age without even knowing really what that was, but I gravitated towards fruits and vegetables and eating, you know, really good food. I I had an appreciation for home cooked meals and I just loved eating whether it was out or at home or whatever it was. And as that grew and as the years went on, as I started learning more about nutrition and about different ways of eating, I I did kind of fall in love with I kind of fell in love with vegetarianism early on, again, without knowing too much about it or what that impacted the body. So that was kind of my first entry point, having a best friend at the time who was vegetarian. And that really got me interested in nutrition and understanding a little bit more about diet and the impact. And when I was in, I guess it was in high school and I started, you know, really thinking about where I wanted to go and, and what I wanted to do, I was very passionate about the body and human sciences and becoming a personal trainer. And then nutrition took on a whole new meaning for me at that point where it was like, okay, now it's about how food can impact the body and what kinds of foods can we eat that can make us feel better or worse? Or how can we train properly for it? So that opened up the doors for that. And from there, I became a nutritionist. Then I went to culinary school, then I opened up a cooking class business. Uh So like really, the journey just kept opening up for me within the realm of food and nutrition. And my journey has also shifted over the years from being vegetarian to now I'm not anymore. And I'm happy to share more about that later on if we get into that. But uh, it's it's always kind of come down to the core of understanding what the impact of food has on our body and gravitating towards what your
0: body needs most. Oh, how awesome. And it's pretty cool, isn't it? How you can kind of either uh, build your health or harm your health just through nutrition. You have the power in your hands. So that's kind of a cool way to have that control.
1: Yes, absolutely. We have the choice. You know, we, we have a fork, or a spoon or a knife or however we eat every day that we are making a choice to put something in our mouths. And we are, you know, in a society right now that has so many conflicting ideas and viewpoints. And it is very hard for someone who doesn't have a background in nutrition or doesn't know where to go. They're just kind of focused on the end goal of, I want to lose weight or I want to, you know, get rid of the bloat or whatever that might be without understanding what is it that your body really needs and what, foods are actually going to really help you get to that goal in a healthy way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we're going to talk about hormones and thyroid health today. Can you tell us what is the thyroid gland and what is its function in the body? So
1: we all have a thyroid gland and it regulates our metabolism. It's located in the throat area and without A thyroid gland or without it functioning properly, you couldn't even survive because you need those hormones to live. And it secretes and regulates so many different hormones in the body. And when there is a challenge with the thyroid system, it can really impact so many other systems in the body and vice versa. Other systems can impact the thyroid gland as well, including your adrenals, including, um, you know, your ovaries. There's so many other things at play that can all interrelate together. So we want to try our best to keep the thyroid gland maintained. And depending on where the challenges are, whether it's in the case of an autoimmune condition like Hashimoto's, that's when the body's actually attacking the thyroid gland.
0: Mm-hmm. And so you were diagnosed with Hashimoto's, which is a thyroid condition. Um, so how did you realize you might have a thyroid issue? Did you have symptoms?
1: Yeah. So I'll, I'll kind of backtrack and tie the knots of the, my story together. So I I became vegetarian at an early age when, when I first shared, you know, at a young age, my best friend introduced me into it. Then I came out of it for a bit. And then when I was in university and um, into my early years and learning about nutrition, I decided I wanted to go vegetarian again. And I was for many years and I felt great. I felt great on that diet. It, it served me well at the time. It was where my mind and body were gravitating towards. And I did thrive for a period of years. Um, and I couldn't think of eating any other way. This is the way I wanted to live my life. This is how I wanted to raise my family. And this is was, and this was the core of my business, building a cooking school, writing a book, plant-based diet for dummies. My philosophy was rooted in this way of eating, and I believed it to the core. So that being said, it was really hard to listen to my body because I was so committed to a way of eating or a way of beating or a way of being that I started to neglect symptoms that were going on, I think for a number of years. So as my knowledge grew and as I started to really understand the body and the thyroid system and hormones and food on a different level, a lot of which came from the knowledge of the guests that I had on my podcast on the Ultimate Health Podcast, I really started learning so much to the point where it was like, oh oh my goodness, I need to pay attention to what's going on. How am I neglecting my own health right now? So I'd say after about six years or seven years being vegetarian, um, straight, like this was one of the jaunts that I was doing that was consistent for seven years, I started getting blood results. I was talking to my naturopath and I started realizing that potentially my diet was harming my health and that being a vegetarian, and and I'm not saying it's just being a vegetarian, there's so many other things at play and we can get into those later, but being vegetarian and having a diet that was focused on beans and grains and other foods, potentially soy, and I wasn't consuming that much, but I'm sure it played a role in there, was stripping away my gut and potentially causing lots of challenges within my body, which led to leaky gut and thus, potentially my Hashimoto's. I, I never like to say exactly cause I, you know, I can't give all the answers cause I don't uh-huh. know for sure, but this is yeah. where, you know, so many things have started to point in that direction. So I, I did start to feel run down. My energy was off. I was starting to feel bloated. Um, I was feeling certain skin conditions and rashes and parts of my body that I really didn't think I would have a problem with because again, I was eating so clean, eating all my healthy fats, getting in clean carbohydrates, like being a vegetarian, I was a very healthy vegetarian. So I thought my diet was completely dialed in Mm -hmm. and as I started to kind of pull things away and as I said, I was learning so much, it came down to something's got to shift and something's got to give and it's got to be my diet in addition to some supplementation and getting proper blood work done. So, and that's, that's really what gave me the answer was the blood work By getting certain panels of your thyroid done and understanding your antibodies, when your antibodies are high, that pretty much diagnoses that you have Hashimoto's. So when I got that diagnosis, for sure, which was last year, last May, that gave me the answer that something was really wrong. Mm -hmm. And the challenge is is that I think this has been going on for many years. (laughs) I think that probably maybe 10 years ago, or more. There could have been stuff going on that I was overlooking Mm -hmm. and feeling okay, maybe overriding, you know, my system, which was already worn down. And it's interesting when you, it's, I'm just so grateful when you have the knowledge and the means to learn more and take that on because you are always going to be your best doctor. I truly believe that. Like when you can really understand what's going on with your own body and you can start to take the action steps to make those changes, that's ultimately what's going to help you heal.
0: Isn't that interesting how we kind of get caught up in trends and diet trends, and then we neglect our own intuition when it comes to our bodies? For sure. Yeah, it's 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 a
1: challenge I think for many
0: people. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's talk a little bit about what it what is Hashimoto's? Can you explain that and how is that related to hypo and hyperthyroidism? What are the differences between those conditions?
1: So Hashimoto's is the autoimmune condition where the body attacks the thyroid gland. So when someone has an autoimmune condition of any kind, it's where the body's attacking a certain part of the body. So with Crohn's or colitis, it's typically the gut. Sorry, with celiac, it's typically the gut. With lupus and arthritis, it's different joints throughout the body. And with Hashimoto's, it's the thyroid gland. So where that leads you for hyper and hypo is it can kind of swing between both. That's the challenge with Hashimoto's is that it's a little bit of both. Ultimately, if Hashimoto's goes on too long, undetected, Or undiagnosed, it will lead to hypothyroidism. That's typically where most thyroid conditions end up going because a lot of people start with hyper, Mm -hmm. and that's the case for Graves' disease. And people will have an overactive thyroid system and they'll have symptoms associated with that. And then eventually it gets to a point where their system crashes or they have to have their thyroid gland removed. Then they're put on synthetic drugs like Synthroid to, because you need the thyroid hormone to survive, otherwise you can't survive. So it eventually goes from hyper to hypo. And that's happened with a lot of women, especially in my family. So I thought that was going to be my pattern. I thought I was going to start with Graves and then go to hypothyroidism. Uh, but it's it for me, it was Hashimoto's. And what's interesting about an autoimmune condition is that there's so many potential triggers that can be the culprit for that. It could be gut infections. It could be diet related. It could be environmental toxins that you're exposed to, stress in your life. So many different things at play can lead to that. And it's hard to pinpoint just one, but I can definitely, you know, put a check between all those things that I just said and say, you know what, those happen. And some of them happen all around the same time.
0: Mm -hmm. What are some of the environmental culprits that might potentially contribute to Hashimoto's or a thyroid condition?
1: So toxins in our environment. So whether it's in your home or your work environment or things that you're putting on your body every day, um, sprays, shampoos, body lotions, all that can play a huge role. Living somewhere that is moldy or there is, you know, some kind of air stream coming into your home from, you know, a a factory down the street, whatever it is, like all those play a role and your body soaks that up. And if there's many years in that kind of environment, or as I said, could be years of you putting on toxic chemicals onto your skin and on your lips and in your hair, your body will accumulate that. And again, the, this, the system as to where and how that happens in your body is a whole other story. But A lot of people, especially when you have Hashimoto's, you can have a weakness towards that and it can really just set fire to your system in in a really shocking way. And I am extremely sensitive I find to any smells or any scents, like I have to wear everything unscented. I can't even go into a room where someone's wearing anything scented yes. <laughs> unless it's an essential oil or something natural.
0: Uh-huh. I can relate. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a tough
1: one. And that's for a mm-hmm. lot of people. That's not just Hashimoto's. That's just, you know, the, the, the society that we're in right now yeah. with so many fragrances and toxic chemicals in the industry. Mm-hmm. It's so unfortunate. Dryer so sheets
0: much... too. It's crazy yeah. to me, like how I can smell someone like, 300 feet away or something and you know they have no idea that they're so strongly sensitive I don't even know how they live with with that smell because it's so strong to me but they don't even really notice it so it is interesting how some people are more in tune to the smell and more sensitive to it yeah for sure would thyroid conditions maybe be genetic too or is it really more environmental
1: a good question. There's definitely a predisposition. I think having it in your family and it being passed down is is part of it. But that doesn't mean that you would always get what your mom had or what your aunt had or what your grandmother had. I think the environment, you know, the whole science of epigenetics and what we're exposed to and the things around us and how we live our life can be the trigger to set that off. So, you know, I, I do think it plays a role, but I don't think it's the only answer.
0: Mm hmm. What about birth control? Is that something that has an effect on the thyroid?
1: It does. You know, the birth control pill affects so many different things in our body and can really strip away so much. So I think especially girls who have been taking it from a young age have been essentially manipulating their hormones unfavorably for so long that it can cause a whole host of things and thyroid conditions can certainly be one of those.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you've mentioned a couple times that um, it's women who have this uh, issue with the thyroid. Is it something that men also are affected by or is it mostly women?
1: Men are affected, but it is typically women. Most thyroid conditions do fall amongst women, but there are certainly men. I have, you know, we've had a few men on our podcast who've shared their stories and with Hashimoto's or hyper or hypo for sure, Mm -hmm. but... It
0: is more common in women. So um, let's backtrack a little bit. So you went to get tests from your health practitioner. Did you go to see your doctor or did you go to a specialist? And what tests did you get?
1: Great question, because this brings up, mm-hmm. you know, an interesting thing that happened in my life because of, you know, the, the access that we have through the medical system or mm-hmm. lack thereof. Mm-hmm. So at the time, I had, so this was last May, I had a requisition to get some blood work done that I had been given a while ago just to get an, another panel on my thyroid, but I think it was very general. So I didn't have the knowledge that I had last May that I got from actually speaking to one of the guests on the, pod, on the podcast. Her name is Elle Russ. Mm-hmm. So she was telling us about all the specific tests that you need, and that includes TSH, free T3, free T4, your thyroid antibodies, both antibodies, and your reverse T3. So I think on my requisition was just T3, T4, and TSH, which is typically what most doctors look for. It's just the TSH. So I called up my doctor and I said, any chance that you can add some of these other tests to my thyroid panel so that I can go and get this done? And I've also moved city, so I couldn't go in to see her. I had to call her up, you know, can you please send me a new requisition? And she denied me that. So mm. I was like, okay, this is so interesting. And this is also exactly what the guest on our podcast, Elle, was talking about that she had experienced. So I'm like, no, no, no. I'll call my doctor. There'll be no problem. So I had that resistance. And I've always had a very good relationship with my doctor. She's was amazing and always very helpful and open-minded. But here I was getting this resistance. I'm like, well, I don't understand why. What's it to you? I'm just looking to get yeah. more testing done to get some answers. So she denied me that. And then I started seeing a naturopath here who was able to allow me to get those other tests. So she was able to put her name on my requisition so that I could go and get those tests. And that's what I did. So I had the authority of someone else allow me to do that. And it was put on it with my doctor's name. So it's probably a shady way of going about it. But Mm -hmm. I had to do what I had to do. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, my results came back with extremely high antibodies. And when my doctor got those results, although she was upset that I kind of went around her and got someone else Mm -hmm. to put the name on it, I showed her. I'm like, take a look at this. And she, she couldn't say much. She was, you know, a little upset about how I handled it. But I'm like, you know what, I, I can't see you anymore. I'm going to find a new doctor because you obviously can't, you know, back me up and, yeah. and help me fight for my health here. So I was very lucky to find a new GP locally that now allows me to get all the tests that I need to get done. Because the thing about the thyroid gland is you want to regularly check that every three months, it could be a different showing on your readings every six months, it can be. So as soon as you start some kind of protocol, whether it's adding in supplements or changing your diet, you want to keep up on it. Because if it gets worse, you may have to go on some kind of thyroid medication. Mm. So ever since last May, I've been on this healing journey, really working hard at getting those antibodies lower and trying to work with my thyroid hormones. And I'm still learning about it too. Like I'm in the middle of this, really trying to understand it, working with my functional medicine team working with my naturopath, learning about it on my own, reading books, creating courses, like really just jumping right in to fully have a good handle on what's going on here and how to bring everything into balance. Because from my understanding is you can bring your autoimmune condition into remission. Mm -hmm. You can't really completely, I I don't want to say that because I do believe there's got to be a way (laughs) because I have heard people say you can, Mm -hmm. Completely keep it to a place where it's not affecting or impacting your life. Mm-hmm. But as far as I'm learning, you can put it into remission, but it's still always going to be there and it can always get triggered depending on what's going on. So it's nice to see that over the year, I have really worked on my antibodies and brought them down to a point of being really low, not below average, but still above average. And now it's just about working on the other uh, on the other thyroid hormones that I need to bring into
0: balance as well. And so um let's go over one more time the tests that somebody would want to ask their doctor for if they might be concerned that they have Hashimoto's or maybe something going on with their thyroid. What tests should they ask their doctor or their naturopath or a functional medicine doctor for?
1: Okay, so that's your TSH, your free T3, T4, your thyroid antibody. So that's TPO and TPA and your reverse T3.
0: Okay. Awesome.
1: And then in addition to that, there's other things that you'd want to get checked, like your ferritin levels. Um, You want to get your vitamin D checked because when you have your thyroid gland compromised, and when you have this impact in your body, It can affect how you're absorbing and maintaining different nutrient levels. So you want to check those as well. So a lot of women have very low ferritin levels and very low vitamin D3 because the gut has been compromised and your body's not absorbing the nutrition that it needs. So it's about going back to the gut and I can get to that shortly too as well. So there's a lot of other nutrients that you want to look into to make sure that your body has adequate levels of those.
0: Did you have to change your diet when you were diagnosed? Did you 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 were healthy before, but did you have to make changes to your diet as well?
1: Interestingly enough, I had shifted my diet over the last three, four years. So about four years ago was when I started not feeling so great. And that's when I started to really wake up to something's off here. And I didn't know at the time that it was necessarily thyroid related. I thought it was candida. I thought it was you know, other dysbiosis or other breakdowns. I didn't know what, I just knew something was wrong. And that's when I started realizing, okay, the vegan slash vegetarian diet wasn't working for me and I need to start incorporating some animal protein. So I started very slowly over the course of three, four years. I brought in eggs for a couple of months. Then I brought in chicken. Then I brought in fish. Then I tried red meat, which I hadn't had red meat since I was 13. So that was Mm -hmm. really challenging for me mentally and physically. Mm So it was a really interesting process, but I took my time with it and made sure I checked in, you know, to feel how I was doing. Is this the way I want to eat? Is this feeling good? Does this feel right ethically and morally and Mm -hmm. every time I'm chewing something? And it did. It slowly did start to. And as I started learning that eating grains and beans wasn't feeling so good, or if I did eat them, I'd have to spread it out a little bit more. It couldn't be an, an everyday occurrence. It had to be something that I did every once in a while. I started really listening to my body. So, I'd already been on this dietary healing journey for a while, and then last year it kind of confirmed that this is the way I do need to be eating. So, I'd already intuitively knew that this was the direction I needed to go, and I started kind of stripping my diet even more. So, I I played around with the autoimmune paleo diet, which is a protocol that takes out all inflammatory foods. It's basically a meat, vegetable, seafood, a little bit of fruit, and high-fat diet. So it takes everything that could be inflammatory to the body out, and it allows you to really just heal your body, and then you can start to reintroduce foods. So I have tested that and really focused on nutrient-dense foods like bone broth and collagen, lots of green vegetables, lots of sweet potatoes. You know, a lot of my diet really didn't change all that much. All the plant-based foods that I loved and ate all the time, like the greens and the veggies – that stayed in, of course. And if anything, I'm eating more of them because that's kind of what I gravitate towards and what I go to when I'm building my plate. It's always going to be three quarters of the plate being veggies and then a quarter of it being some kind of animal protein or fat or whatever that might be.
0: And you, you are grain free. Are are you grain free? I am. I am. Yes. So that
1: shifted, I'd say about two years ago, mm-hmm. a year and a half ago, when I started really understanding that gluten-free wasn't even enough, I needed to go grain-free. So gluten-free still includes certain types of grains, like it could be rice or even the pseudo grains like quinoa. And I was feeling okay on them, but I thought, you know, what have I got to lose? Let me just take them out, see how I do, see how I feel. And now I have taken all the grains out with the exception, I'd say once in a while I have had things like quinoa One millet. I'm not going to be so militant about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to still try and be as balanced and, and sustainable with my life as I can. Mm-hmm. But I'd say most days, and if not, the way that I want to eat long term is grain free. It's just, it's so easy and so sustaining. And I know that taking the grains out for thyroid health is extremely beneficial. A lot of the components of grains can be really hard on the body and certainly the gut, which is the main reason that I have eliminated
0: them. And so because grains are connected to leaky gut, can you talk a little bit about leaky gut and why are those, why is that connected to thyroid conditions and autoimmune conditions?
1: So what can happen when you're eating certain foods and grains can be one of them and soy and beans, a lot of foods that contain lectins or other fibers that could impact the gut over time, it can start to affect the wall and the lining of the gut and cause literally leaks in it or holes in it where food particles can start passing through. And that can happen a lot with, unfortunately, with a lot of plant-based foods because the body doesn't have the enzymes to break them down in an effective way. So as much as it's, it's so interesting, me of all people, because I made the case for years that plants were easier to digest than animal protein. (laughs) And I'm not saying that animal protein is so easy to digest. It still takes a lot of work for your body and you need to make sure that your stomach acid is in a good place and you chew it really well for sure. But there's certain undigestible components to plants where we're just not, you know, equipped with the ability to break them down unless we soak them or cook them properly or sprout them or ferment them and take them into a different place. Mm -hmm. So, over time. And and again, I being a nutritionist and someone who taught cooking classes, I was teaching people how to do this stuff. So I did prepare my food really well and soaked and did all those good things. But I think the accumulation every day, day in, day out, likely caused some weakening of my gut lining. In addition to all the other things that I talked about, like environmental toxins and stress, all that plays a role. And that can start to weaken the gut. So as food particles pass through into your bloodstream, your body doesn't know what to do with those. So they're in your blood and you get foreign invaders coming in, attacking those little guys. And then your body just becomes a little war system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and then the, with, in the case of thyroid conditions, it, it goes, the attack happens on the thyroid gland. And that's, you know, again, I'm, I'm giving a very brief overview, mm-hmm. you know, Making it sound very pretty and very simple. (laughs) There's a lot more that goes on there. But the body, you know, with those food particles in the system, the body starts attacking them and reacting and just causing, you know, a, a really negative effect and an inflammatory and an immuno response to the body where your body's immune system just starts to weaken and break down. It says, okay, guys, let's go. Let's get, let's go for the weakest link. Let's attack the thyroid gland. This is, this is where we're, this is what we're after. That's our target. Mm -hmm. And then over time, it starts taking little hacksaws and (laughs) chipping away at it and causing those antibodies to rise, which is that's why the autoimmune conditions are broken down into auto being, you know, self immune system breaking down. And that is, you know, in a nutshell, what's happening.
0: Yeah. And how do you, how would someone go grain free? Because I mean, I, I'm grain free and everybody that I talk to about it, you know, that loves bread, they say, I'll never give up bread. I love bread so much. So how do you go grain free? Well, you start
1: finding the things that you love that you think you can't give up and then you start looking for alternatives. And luckily mm-hmm. it's so easy now, like a couple of years ago, this wasn't so easy. There wasn't as many options or alternatives or flowers, or even bread mixes, or even breads that you can go in and buy, they're already done for you. So it does take a little bit of time to do your gathering and do your hunting and putting on your thinking cap or going to different places. And I know it's not always easy for everybody listening, like where you live, you may not have access, and I completely sympathize with you. So there are ways. And you can also use foods, I'll get to that in a second. So first thing is, there's a lot of alternative breads and flowers, things like cassava, and coconut, and almond if you're including nuts, and uh, tiger nut. So there's so many different bases that you can use if you want to start making things at home like pancakes and muffins and breads. Then there's companies like Legit Bread Company that has mixes ready done for you that all you need to do is add some eggs and water and apple cider vinegar, and you can whip up a loaf of bread at home.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: or you can get really creative and start using things like sweet potato and slice it really thin and long and make toast out of sweet potato. It's really big right now on Instagram. You can find (laughs) coconut wraps and colored wraps. Like there's so many different ways that you can substitute bread and wraps and same with um, rice and pasta. You can use cauliflower, of course, the the most popular vegetable mm-hmm. <laughs> right now mm-hmm. for everything. But um, so you can use cauliflower, you can use zucchini and squash and kelp noodles. There's just endless options now. But you just have to look and start following people or looking on YouTube or getting cookbooks with some of these very simple, not time consuming alternatives to grains, and you can still fill your plate up. And I I do rely on a lot of root veggies. That's what gives me my sustenance and my carb fix. I love beets and carrots and squash and sweet potatoes, white sweet potatoes, orange sweet potatoes. And I'm making those regularly to fill up a part of my plate.
0: Hmm. And what nutrients are vital for someone who has Hashimoto's or maybe a thyroid condition, or even someone who's just concerned about their thyroid health?
1: So you want to definitely focus on a very balanced whole food diet, because you're going to get a lot of your natural nutrients easily through green vegetables and some of the root veggies that I just said, and certainly vitamin D through animal protein. So you want to, you really want to focus on that and, and iron as well. And then if you're going to take supplements, anything from probiotics to selenium, magnesium is really key. Um, vitamin D in supplemental form. So you can get it through foods, but you definitely, you know, these days we want to get it through a supplement to make sure that we're getting the, the, the top end levels that our body needs. Vitamin C, what else? And then depending on if you're going on a more intense protocol, like a gut healing protocol. There's so many other herbs and supplements that you can be taking just to kind of help repair and nourish her, but that's going to be very individual. Mm-hmm. But general overview is things like what I said, like the selenium, magnesium, a good fish oil or omega-3 is going to be very helpful.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Magnesium is a big one. I think for a whole lot of people, vitamin D and magnesium, I feel like that's just kind of, no matter what condition someone's got, Usually that's something that they got a supplement with because sure. so many people are deficient in those two nutrients. So what about other ways to support your lifestyle? Uh, if you have Hashimoto's or any thyroid condition, would you say that exercise is something that you should incorporate? What, what's your view on exercise when it comes to that?
1: Yeah, no, great question. And when it comes to exercise, which can be again a a challenging one for people with a thyroid condition or Hashimoto's, because another trigger that could lead to a failed system or a stressed out system is over-exercising. And I think I was in that boat too, where I was pushing it really hard for many years, being a personal trainer, being really into fitness and running. I'm sure there was times where I was probably in total adrenal fatigue and pushing myself even further. And that can really stress the body out. So when you have Hashimoto's or a thyroid condition, one of the biggest symptoms and complaints that people have is weight gain or feeling sludgy and and just yucky in their body and feeling like there's water weight. So you feel like you want to exercise more, but that can actually stress your body out more. So it's a bit of a vicious cycle where you actually need to slow down and find lower intensity modes of exercise. And do more walking, or Pilates, or go for longer bike rides, as opposed to the high, the high, long intensity workouts. So there's a difference between short intensity workouts and long intensity workouts. You know, people get on the treadmill, the elliptical for like 45 minutes, an hour, hour and a half, or oh do a God. cardio class <laughs> and then do a spin class. And people do that, yeah. Still, you know, and I used to do crazy. that. It's crazy.
0: It's a I lot. Get it. Yeah,
1: it's a lot. And yeah. I think the longer the better. Mm-hmm. It's not true. So. Once you get to a good place, if you're just diagnosed or your symptoms are really, you know, in in not such a good place and you're feeling really rough, you're going to want to take things really slow for the first couple of weeks or even months. Then as you're starting to feel better, you can start bringing in bouts of high intensity going for a sprint here and there, or just judge how you're feeling. If there's a day you wake up, you're like, I'm feeling great and energized. Again, another big symptom is low energy and feeling really lethargic. But if you're feeling energized and inspired, like go for a run or go for a hike or whatever feels right, or go for a spin class, but really honor that and embrace that and try not to push it too hard. So movement is definitely key, but just watch how much and how often.
0: Mm -hmm. And what about coffee? And alcohol, how do they affect someone differently if somebody has Hashimoto's?
1: Yeah. So I would say if you definitely know you have a thyroid condition and you're on this healing modality, you're going to want to eliminate those sources of Mm -hmm. caffeine and and alcohol for sure. Mm -hmm. Or at least moderate them. You know, if you want a glass of wine on the weekend with your friends and you know you can handle it, go for it. But if you're drinking wine every single night or you're getting drunk on the weekends and you're just stressing at your body more, not a good idea. Right. If you're drinking coffee every day just to get through the day, not a good idea. But if you once in a while want a cup of coffee just to feel good and energized or ground or whatever it makes you feel, I say go for it. I'm not a coffee drinker, so I can't really connect with that. But what I can say is that caffeine on a weekend system can really stress the body out because often with Hashimoto's is adrenal problems and liver problems and, and coffee can, you know, exacerbate those, those symptoms for sure. Alternatives are things like yerba mate or green tea or matcha. And there's a little bit of, I I need to look into this more because I've been recently getting a lot of questions around it because I'm really big into matcha right now. Mm -hmm. And this is new for me Mm because I was never a green tea drinker. I really don't do well on a lot of caffeine, but I've been falling in love with matcha lately. It just keeps coming <laughs> it's up so in my world. So yummy!
0: It's delicious. It's
1: so yummy! I'm actually yeah. drinking some right now. Mm. I made a latte right before this interview, yummy. and I'm just loving it. But there is, as I said, I'm going to look into it a little bit further where there is some studies and some research pointing where again you want to be careful because matcha is so concentrated that it could potentially aggravate symptoms of Hashimoto. So I want to look into that a little bit more. But I also hear that. Again, if you're in a good place and there are certain days that you can handle it and you want to feel a nice, energized, healthy boost, it's a good thing to have. So I believe in moderation. I'm trying not to have the matcha every day just because it's good and it tastes good and it makes me feel good. I mm-hmm. don't need to have it every day. I'm just having it on days where I'm either getting on a podcast or I may be got a lot on the plate and I want to make sure I can get through the day or be really focused. So I'm trying to make sure that I manage that. So there are other ways of energizing. And then you can find other ways that aren't even caffeine based. There's a lot of mushrooms and adaptogen herbs that you can take that are really nourishing and healing for the thyroid gland. You know, that's, that's a whole other topic is,
0: you know, talking about the adaptogens, but there's a lot out there. Awesome. And what about fasting? Can you fast if you have a thyroid condition? Like intermittent fasting is really trendy right now. Is that something that is good for someone if they have a thyroid condition? Or is it something better to avoid?
1: I, well, it's very individual, right? So if someone's really drawn to it and wants to test it out and see how they do on it, because that's going to help them and help manage their blood sugar levels and manage their weight, go for it. If I was going to give my opinion, I don't think so. I Mm -hmm. think the bare minimum fast people should be doing is, you know, somewhere between 12 and maybe 14 hours. And sometimes I'm doing it without even thinking about it. You know, I'm not eating past eight o'clock and then I'm like eating at like nine thirty in the morning. And it's like, wow, I've just done like 13 hours or 14 hours without thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So if that works for you and I, it's funny that I'm less and less hungry in the morning, but I often have a lot to drink, but I'm not purposely doing an intermittent fast. I do believe that we need to eat <laughs> right. more regularly. I I you know, not every couple of hours, but definitely eating some good quality fats and higher protein breakfast, and then maybe two to four hours later having something else and then maybe another two to four hours, anywhere between three and the max four meals a day and and playing with that anywhere in between, you know, depending on how you're feeling. Some mm-hmm. people go as little as two meals and I've had two meals sometimes too. So really just honor that, but I wouldn't go And take on intermittent fasting because you think it's going to help your Hashimoto's. I would not correlate the two. Mm
0: -hmm. What if someone is on a thyroid medication? Can they ever go off of it if they use things such as the nutritional therapy or alternative therapies? Is there some way that they can eventually go off of that medication?
1: I do and know of a lot of stories and a lot of people who have over time completely come off their medication, but that also depends where they're at if they've had their thyroid gland removed. Mm-hmm. They don't really have a choice. They right. have to be on something to maintain that. Right. If they still have their thyroid gland and they're on a medication, there are ways to either get natural forms of it or natural desiccated thyroid, which is coming from pig glands. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's not synthetic, it's totally natural. so there are other modalities or there is just T3. And then over time through supplementation, you know, I, I can't give the exact answer like, yes, you can right. come off of that, that I'm not in a position to say that as mm-hmm. I'm still learning about this myself. But I do know of people who have com- completely off of their thyroid medication and have healed themselves naturally. So I think there's a lot of options out there. But what I will say is I do think that there is so much to explore before you go on to medications. So Mm. if you have been diagnosed with a thyroid condition and you think your only answer is Synthroid or a medication because that's what your doctor presents to you, Mm -hmm. before you go there, Mm. explore all the natural options and try your best. I was able to bring my antibodies down completely naturally. I've been using natural supplementation. I am on natural desiccated thyroid right now. Um, you know, I am looking to conceive in a couple of years and I want to make sure that my body's in a good good position and I'm producing good levels of thyroid hormones. I do not plan to be on this long term. I even asked my functional medicine team. I said, if I go on this, can I come off? (laughs) Like I do not want to be stuck on this. I do not want to become dependent on it. I want to make sure that I have innately what I need so that my body can thrive long-term. But right now, while I'm kind of going through this healing and my body's trying to find its balance, if it's going to help support that, then amazing. And there's a lot of books and resources Mm -hmm. and people who are way more knowledgeable than I am in the field of thyroid health that have put out published books with research as to how they have done this completely naturally. People like Amy Myers, Isabella Wentz, you know, I would look to those people and follow some of their protocols before you go on to the medical... Convention, uh, the conventional route.
0: Mm-hmm. And you touched on something, which is the importance of your thyroid health when it comes to potentially conceiving a, a child. So fertility is a component of that thyroid health, correct?
1: Big component.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm starting to learn about that now And really just trying to dial that all in. So it is, you have to have your thyroid levels in a good place to be able to have your body support that.
0: Mm -hmm. So if somebody is diagnosed with Hashimoto's or a thyroid condition and they decide to do some natural therapies, maybe work with their naturopath or their doctor, uh, should they be getting tests regularly or, or how often should they get tested for those levels?
1: So I would definitely, you know, get your initial test done. And then if there's a way to follow some kind of protocol or seek out a program or start taking things on that you can start to work towards bringing down your antibody levels or managing your hypothyroid symptoms, then I'd say as early as three weeks (laughs) – to three months to Mm -hmm. six months, you could get tested to start to see what's going on. And that all depends, right? Some people have to pay out of pocket. Some people don't have the availability to get the proper requisitions. So do the best that you can, but certainly, you know, anywhere between two to four times a year, you want to get tested.
0: Mm. And then you actually created a program called Healing and Dealing with Hashimoto's. Tell us a little bit about your program.
1: Yeah. So a friend of mine, a colleague and friend, she also was diagnosed with Hashimoto's around the same time as myself. And so over the last year, we've been sharing ideas and just talking about this and, you know, bringing each other up to date on what we've discovered or anything that's new. And we both have our own area of expertise where I focus a lot on diet and lifestyle. She focuses a lot on women and hormones. And at some point we're like, you know what, we're gathering so much information and we're learning so much How amazing would it be to create a program where we're not just coming at this like we have all the answers here, (laughs) Mm -hmm. enjoy. We're like, let's share what we're going through and that we're still going through this and what we're experiencing and what we know about this. And then utilizing our knowledge base to help people and support their lifestyle and nutrition diet, um, supplement and gut protocols. And how can we help them do that? Because we have that knowledge. So we put together a four week program where we took a group of women through the four weeks and every week layering on the next and giving ideas and tips and strategies and recipes and resources to start to make better choices
0: around their thyroid health. That's awesome. Yeah. I I saw that coconut yogurt recipe on your Instagram and that was really good. I actually Made that. It was so easy. Was so easy. super easy. So yeah, <laughs> good stuff. So you've said before that self care is an important component of a healthy lifestyle. So what are some of the ways you practice self care? Self care is
1: so important. And I'm so happy we're talking about this because at the end of the day, it can be really overwhelming and depressing and mm-hmm. self-defeating when you're diagnosed with something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, regardless of being diagnosed with something or not, I think in our culture today and busy women and men and entrepreneurs and everyone in between are doing so much for their families, for their kids, for everybody else, and not stopping to take care of themselves, not finding time in the day to do things for themselves and it doesn't have to be a long time, it just has to be something. And I think taking that time to cook or to go to a yoga class or to read a book, to journal, to meditate, to get outside and get into nature if you have a dog or kids or whatever it is maybe no kids, maybe no dog, just <laughs> so that you're by yourself mm-hmm. um, finding those moments is so important and so nurturing to the soul because we need to stop, we need to slow down, we need to assess and reflect. And, you know, I'm guilty of it for sure. But I've started to really build in some routines and I like to do my routine typically in the morning. And then I scatter little pockets throughout the day or the week, wherever I can. But in the morning is a really good time for me to get up and, you know, hydrate, go read a book or go journal, go express some gratitude and yeah. Sometimes even Instagram might be part of that for me too. Mm-hmm. Like I really like just enjoy that time, but mm-hmm. it's to myself and I try to not let it overtake me. Mm-hmm. I'm really conscious of how I'm utilizing it and just have more fun. So it's, it's a really important message and it's something that we definitely, I definitely shared throughout the the program. This was a whole part of my slideshow is just talking about bringing in the self-care because it's so simple yet it's so taken for granted. It's so simple. It's like, can can we not just go to bed five minutes earlier and, like, listen to some music? That's self-care. Yeah. Like, go take a bath and put your feet up for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Go sip some tea and go look at a bird outside. Right. Yeah. Simple,
0: simple stuff. It's simple, and yet it's sometimes so hard to stop and take time to not do anything Yeah, <laughs> you know exactly yeah yeah and I think that touches on an important aspect of wellness and probably thyroid health in general is just not being so stressed or e- e- taking the time to practice self-care in order to kind of manage your stress levels because stress is probably not good for your thyroid <laughs>
1: That is, I think, probably the most important component Mm -hmm. in addition to sleep Mm because we haven't touched on sleep yet. Mm -hmm. But and that comes into stress. You know, if you're getting good sleep, hopefully you're not as stressed during the day. But managing your stress levels and being able to have outlets or ways to delegate or defer all the things you have to do every day to take the overwhelm out Mm -hmm. or have a way to outlet your feelings and emotions, whether it's talking to someone or writing them down. We need to filter that somewhere because if it stays in, and you know, the energetic component of people with thyroid conditions is if they keep things in and they're not speaking up, you know, the throat area, the throat chakra, it can just cause backup and build up and and affect things even more. So you know, take that in whatever way you want to, but it, it's a big component. So we need outlets especially people who are going through thyroid conditions to express yourself and and let those emotions run free and yeah I do I do want to touch on sleep because I think it's really important can I get into that
0: Yes please please do
1: Yeah so I think I really think getting your sleep routine in check is so vital. And another thing that is so simple, but so overlooked, Mm -hmm. people will push the hours and push the limits on their sleep routine as long as they can, because there's just too much to do in the day. And I just have to, you know, after the kids go to bed, I have to do this and this and this and pack the lunch and whatever, whatever, or watch all these shows before I go to bed. You need to get to bed earlier. You need to get to bed between 10 and 11. Mm -hmm. If you want me to actually give a time reference, that would be the window of time. Mm -hmm. I'd say by 1030 and then get up whenever you can or work backwards. If you have to get up at five, six, seven, work backwards, seven, eight hours and figure out what your bedtime and try and create an environment after dinner time that you can start to set up a routine at home. That gets your body and your mind ready for sleep to dim the lights at home, you know, get some salt lamps going, diffuse some essential oils, sip on a calming tea, switch into slow down mode so that when you get into bed, you're actually ready to sleep and not like, okay, I'm in bed, but I'm wide awake. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we we need to shift those gears and get that nourishing sleep because that's the chance for your body to reset, regenerate, renew. Detoxify. And if we're running on empty day after day and feeling exhausted all the time, it's just going to wear you down. And it's just going to affect every other area of your life your work, your relationships, your eating habits, what you crave, how you manage stress, how you talk to people. Then you don't want to exercise because you're too tired. Like it just goes into every area. So we need to make sure that that, at least, that's you know, half of our day or a chunk of our day that needs to happen. And right. we need to honor that and not just not just take it for granted.
0: Mm-hmm. And you, you talked about the salt lamps and why are salt lamps a good thing before you're going to sleep?
1: I just find them really relaxing and calming. It's just a dim light. Mm-hmm. So you don't have the blue light going on in your house. You know, a lot, a lot of us have homes with LED or white lights. Mm-hmm. And when you have those fake lights glowing. And not to say that salt lamps are the be all and end all. Ideally you want to get things like a red light in your home. Mm-hmm. But at least salt lamps deflect that glow mm-hmm. and often have this soft orange or pink light. So when you set that up at home, it can start telling your brain that it's time to start secreting melatonin and start to wind down. But when we're in fluorescent lighting or bright lights until like nine, ten at night after the sun's gone down our body doesn't know how to transition. Mm -hmm. So I love lighting candles or salt lamps and, you know, closing as many lights in the home that Mm -hmm. I can. Obviously certain rooms, you need some light, you Mm -hmm. know, if if it's your bathroom or Mm -hmm. your kitchen or whatever you need to do, but try and minimize your exposure to them as much as possible. And then they're detoxifying the air. They've got the benefit of that because they are salts. They're helping to cleanse and detoxify the air, helping your breathing environment. And I just find they have a really calming effect on
0: the body. Mm -hmm. They do. I I love my salt lamps too. Um, So touching on that, what are some other, I mean, I would call that kind of a biohack. What are some other biohacks that are specifically good for someone who has a thyroid condition?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so salt lamps for sure. I think, as I said, slowing down when it comes to exercise and finding different lower intensity ways of working out. I think getting out of nature and getting grounded, getting your feet planted in the soil or in grass is a really great reset and a really easy and a really cheap biohack. Mm. Like first thing in the morning or sometimes during the day or just getting out in sunlight at some point during the day too is really good. For the body and resetting the system. So, that can be really, really helpful and, and helps to balance your hormones. I, I find, you know, just getting some kind of sunshine is just so healing and so rejuvenating. And mm-hmm. again, so many of these things are free to us, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Hydration, super important. Again, these are all such basics. They're all such 101s, but people need to hear them again and again. I need to hear them again and again. Yeah. I need to make sure that I'm drinking enough water and putting in, you can put a little bit of sea salt in your water or a little bit of lemon juice. Um, or some cucumber or some mint leaves, just ways to get the hydration in and then maybe just get some extra minerals while you're at it.
0: Mm -hmm. And you you mentioned earlier too that one of the symptoms of a thyroid condition is dry skin. And I read also like brittle hair and skin Mm -hmm. and nails. So what are some things that somebody with a thyroid condition can do to kind of help with those symptoms?
1: So really taking care of their body care routine using a dry skin brush to help slow off some of that dry skin before you're getting into the shower. Um, Oiling your body before or after a shower is really good. So getting a really good body oil that's either coconut or sesame or, you know, shea butter base, whatever feels good and nourishing. So making sure that you're getting that moisture in. And I think just making sure that you're like really just taking care of yourself, like, Mm. you know, day in, day out, like, you know, depending on through those beauty care routines, but making sure that you're buying the products for your skin that are actually going to help to heal your body. And if not make some of them at home Mm. (laughs) using really clean, beautiful oils, like sea buckthorn or almond oil, and just upgrading all those areas so that you're feeling like you're, you know, contributing to your you're healing through your body care and through your skin care. And we need to make those changes. So you'll probably need to go home and assess what's in your cupboards and what's lurking around and what are you using and how you can make better upgrades. There's so many beautiful products that are available out there now that are doing the work for you that are really clean, really simple and nourishing. If you have breakouts or if you have eczema or other conditions, there is endless. I don't want to say that because it sounds overwhelming, but there are so many beautiful skincare products out there right now that are just really healing and really nourishing. But take that time. That's part of self-care too, is take that time to do the research and, you know, get maybe one or two different things that you can start to integrate into your routine. And then take that time before you shower to dry skin brush and then moisturize when you get out of the shower and maybe do a salt scrub, maybe take an Epsom salt bath take on some of these modalities that can just really help to heal your body and, and help you feel really
0: good. And you are such an ex- expert on ultimate health. So what is your favorite, your top beauty biohack? It can be physical, technological, supplemental, spiritual. What's your top beauty biohack? Mm, there's, how do I pick one? I know. There's um, so, you can give there's more so if you want. Feel free okay, to well. do as many as you want to offer.
1: Okay, well, I'll, I'll give a couple. Well, one we already talked about, which is sleep. That mm-hmm. is definitely a beauty biohack. You know, mm-hmm. you got to get good sleep so that you feel beautiful and rested and your your skin's looking good. We all know what it's like to go through several days without sleep and, and that impact that it can have on our skin and the way we feel and the way we look. Um, hydration, for sure, mm-hmm. you know, very basic, but mm-hmm. I'll just reiterate that, extremely important. And along with hydration is... Mixing in good quality fats, whether that's into a smoothie or an elixir, getting in things like coconut oil and, and protein as well too from collagen, really Mm -hmm. good for the skin. So I have found a big difference since incorporating bone broth and collagen into my diet has made a big difference in my skin and how it looks. I've had people tell me like, wow, like you look different. And mm-hmm. and I can attribute that to possibly the animal protein mm-hmm. that has come into my diet for sure. Mm-hmm. But I'm a big fan of fat. So, you know, as I said, coconut oil, avocado, including that into the body or on the body, throwing coconut oil on your face or avocado on your face and getting the nourishment from the outside in is is a really good beauty hack.
0: Those are really good ones. I like those. Um, so tell people where can they find you online on social media?
1: My most active place is certainly my Instagram at Marnie Wasserman. I'm posting recipes and tips and very active with my stories and sharing all the time. So that's, that's the one to keep up with the most and certainly check out the ultimate health podcast, which you can go to the website, ultimate or check out our instagram at ultimate health podcast we are sharing again tips ideas resources amazing guests and just so much next level information all the time
0: awesome well thank you this was a wonderful interview thank you so much yeah thank you so much for listening to the show I want to encourage you to share this podcast with your friends and the people you love, especially if that person has Hashimoto's or a thyroid condition or maybe some of the symptoms that we mentioned on this show. If you want to support the podcast, please subscribe and also please rate. That would be really awesome if you could give me a rating, hopefully a good one. Um, It's super easy. Just go down to the bottom and click on those little dots on the bottom corner and you can leave a review. Please tune in next Friday. Have a beautiful week.